is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and can be found on page 1094 of the Church Bibles. The Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayer. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who, who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with with glad with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favours of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. Peter's going to come and speak to us now. Shall we pray for him as he does so? Father, thank you for Peter for the preparation he's done and the the introduction to this new service. Lord, may we hear your words for us this morning as Peter preaches. And may your Holy Spirit rest on him now. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's a lovely sunny day out there, isn't it? It's a lovely, lovely day. Uh, we're going to start a new series uh, this morning, and uh, it is called Holy Habits. Excuse me. And uh, we uh, have finished our series on Mark, and so we're into this a new, a brand new sermon series. Um, before I go anywhere in explaining what this series about is about, let me just put one thing straight: it is not a new fashion range for monks and nuns. Okay, <laughs> that is not what it's about. Uh, that might be what you think it's about, but it's not. Uh, as I've already put out to uh, service leaders and preachers and also to home, lead- home group leaders here at Christchurch, um, I've I kind of explained what, what this is about, but just to put everybody else in the picture. Um, what happened was I was away on retreat with a few friends in February of this year, and um, I was praying about, well, what, what do you want us to do, Lord, when it comes to after Easter, you know, when you were... Uh, if you ever become a church leader, you'll know that you're kind of always having to think ahead about what's the next thing, what's the next thing, what's the next thing. And and so I was thinking of praying about, well, where do we go after Easter? And then I just happened to see a book on sale in this place that I was staying in. And uh, it's this book called Holy Habits. And as you might do, if you're anything like me, you kind of see a book and you think, well, it looks interesting. It's got a nice cover and interesting title. And then I just, I sort of looked to the back at the sort of description on the back as to what it's about. And, uh, and then I sort of flicked through and saw the chapter headings and uh, a little bit of the detail of the book. And I thought, well, it looks interesting. And uh, it's, uh, it is interesting. It's uh, a book by a man called Andrew Roberts. And Andrew Roberts, as it tells us on the back, he is a Methodist minister presently serving as a discipleship specialist in the Discipleship and Ministries Learning Network, which is a Methodist network. And uh, he wrote this book. It started as a book on, uh, that he wrote uh, as an essay for college, and it sort of uh, developed and developed into, into a book. But as I said, I, as I was thinking about, well, what are we doing after Easter? It just caught my attention. And uh, I thought, well, that, that might work. And um, 
might work for home groups as well. And, and so I picked it up and I bought it, and, uh, and that's where we got to now, uh, here at the start of the series. And it is a book about discipleship. It fairly, squarely, firmly about discipleship. That is its key message, and uh, that's what he's talking about. And I'm just going to quote from his preface, what he says as he introduces his book. And uh, just let me read to you from his preface. He says, in Holy Habits, we will explore the call of of Jesus to discipleship today. We will consider how disciples are formed. We will examine a number of key biblical texts. We will reflect upon the themes of, of adventure and suffering. We will explore the place of community and holy habits in forming and sustaining Christian disciples. And we will dare to suggest how the world could experience more wholesome transformation and healing if they were more effective disciples of Jesus. This book is not about religiosity. It is not about abstract piety. It is definitely not about a narcissistic, bless me, spirituality. Rather, it is about a divinely inspired and infused wholesome humanity that seeks to live generously and graciously in harmony with God and the whole of creation. It is a 24-7 calling and a kingdom calling to be worked out in every facet of our lives, our relationships and our sense of self, our work and our leisure, our care of creation and our struggle for justice. So then he goes on to talk about the rationale of the book, how the book works, how the book is laid out, and then he talks about the holy habits, uh, which we'll be getting into in a minute. Uh, but the holy habits, he says, uh, there are 10 of them, and he was going to work through those. And my slide, I'm, I'm afraid, is not very clear, but you can probably just about make out these 10 holy habits, which are biblical, biblical teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, giving, service, eating together, gladness and generosity, worship, and making more disciples. And all of these holy habits are found in the foundational passage that we've just heard read, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And that is the passage that he, he uses as a way of, of helping us to think about, well, what are these habits that we can grow into or grow in as disciples, as Christians, as believers, 10 good and holy practices that we need to be growing in as disciples of Jesus. So I'm going to read again uh, the passage, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And as I read it, uh, maybe just, um, yeah, read it on the screen or hear me read it, and just see if you can pick out some of the habits, those holy habits that I just read as a list Uh, that I just read to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I wonder if you uh, just picked out uh, those good habitual practices as as I read that. 
Uh, but notice how the passage starts. It says, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And that phrase really underlines the reason why we need to really dig into these holy habits, as he calls them, uh, and how much we can get out of this series if we apply ourselves to it. Uh, and uh, we'll be preaching on this on Sundays, and not just myself, but others as well. Uh, we'll be preaching through these, uh, through these habits. And also in home groups, if you're in a home group, uh, this is going to be your uh, subject matter if you uh, obey your vicar and do what the vicar asks you to do. Uh, that is going to be the series that you're going to be looking at in home groups. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm hoping you're all on the same page as me on this, but I think that discipleship is crucial. Uh, you know, if we're going to grow as Christian believers, we've got to get discipleship right, or at least, you know, be on the right road in our lives as disciples. Uh, the word disciple is, is a word that means learner. That's, that's what it means. It's a Greek methetes. And it, it, it means a learner. So just picture yourself, I'm sure you've heard this before, but picture yourself with a nail plate on your back because we're all learners, aren't we? We're all learning as disciples. Uh, none of us has got it right, uh, but Jesus is helping us. And, and I think, and I hope you agree, that our whole lives need to be permeated by the Spirit of Jesus. Our whole lives, not just our Sunday morning segment, but our whole life needs to be guided by the Spirit of Jesus. And uh, lots of authors have, have explained why discipleship is so important or what it is. Uh, and this uh, uh, particular author, um, a lady called Lucy Pepiat, describes discipleship like this. She says, Jesus calls us to follow him, and in this means following where he leads. It means following in so many different ways. We follow him like we follow a dance partner. Kaylee, last night, comes to mind. Uh, we follow his teachings. We follow the leading of the Spirit. We follow in his footsteps to the cross. We follow his example in, living, in loving the outcast, praying for the sick, and delivering those who are oppressed by demons. We follow him because he has won us by his love and his beauty, his power and his grace, his truth and his forgiveness. So let's get into the passage that we've got uh, in front of us today. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And this is a well-known passage. I'm sure you'll know it really well. And uh, the, the, the context of this is that before this, the disciples have been drenched by the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit has been poured out, as Joel promised, on all flesh. And Peter has just been preaching a sermon. And it's led to a mass conversion. Uh, lots of people coming to faith all at the same time. Who knows, it might happen today. Uh, but anyway, we're going to pick out four features. I'm going to pick out four notable features from this passage uh, of, of how these disciples are growing as disciples. The first of these is that there is a notable sense of togetherness or fellowship. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet together. They ate together. So these are the, these are the earliest, uh, these are the disciples of Jesus. This is, if you like, the first church. This is the first Christian community. And they have realized that one of the keys to growing as a disciple is to have fellowship with each other. 
and that Jesus has called them into a close relationship with each other. Now, it doesn't say whether they had arguments. It doesn't say whether they had disagreements. Uh, It doesn't doesn't tell us. Uh, Luke, who wrote it, doesn't tell us. Uh, We can assume, maybe, therefore, that they actually enjoyed being together. Mm, There's an idea. Uh, Actually, even though they were living closely together in, if you like, in each other's pockets, they actually enjoyed being together. They enjoyed eating together. They enjoyed learning together. They had, they had fun together. They laughed and they cried together. They had fellowship with each other. Uh, my main experience of being a community was when uh, Debbie and I and the, and the girls were at college. Um, this is going back a little bit, but uh, I started college, uh, Trinity College in Bristol in 2001, and we were there till 2004. And when we arrived, Naomi was two or three, and Miriam was born when we were there in Bristol. And so we joined a community. We, we joined the Trinity College community in Bristol. And it is a community. It is a place where you go and you join a community. You learn together. You pray together. You eat together. You, you, know, you share lives together. Uh, some students have the privilege of living on the site, on the campus, in the college. Uh, we lived off-site, so it meant that you know, if it got a bit too intense, you, know, you could escape to, uh, to where you lived, uh, which is great, actually. Um, but it was a, it was a life-changing experience. Uh, if you ask us, or if you ask anyone who's, who's ever been in, in, in a place like that, it's a life-changing experience, and it's also a very challenging experience because you're, you're rubbing up against others. You know, when you're in that close fellowship with other people, you're having to learn what it is to be together, how to, how to be with those that you find a bit difficult uh, but that's what it is. Community like that is a place sometimes where you can't hide from other people. And it's designed to be like that. Uh, it, it's designed to enable you to think about, well, what am I like? Um, and there's, but there's also, of course, a lot of joy there. A lot of uh, 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 amazing, amazing place to be and working for the same purpose. And the main thing it really is, is, is immensely fulfilling because humanity was made to live in community with God and with each other. How do we know that? How, on what basis do I say that? Well, in Genesis, if you go right back to Genesis, God says it is not good for Adam, the man, to live alone. So we know that God has designed humanity to be in relationship with others. But more profoundly than that is that God is community. God himself is community. In the, in the ever-living, everlasting dynamic of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God himself lives in community. He's ever-giving, ever-receiving. And so if that is true for God, how much more uh, must it be right for us to be in community, in a fellowship of relationships with others, and for us to then see how our faith and our lifestyle flows out from that? So they had community. They had fellowship. Secondly, they shared everything. Their belongings were held in common. It says, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now that's a very challenging concept to our minds, isn't it? To the mindset that you know, our society has about belongings and about possessions. Because our mindset is, I've earned the right, I've earned my money, I, I, I therefore have uh, I've got money in my pocket to go to the shop to buy whatever it is 
and therefore that possession is my possession. It belongs to me. And that's, that's true. Of course it's true. But when you look at it from a, a biblical perspective, it changes a bit because the Bible says actually that God gives us things to bless others. And that God gives us those in order to bless others and to uh, enable others to share in those things, whatever those possessions are. And Jesus says an awful lot about money. Jesus says some very, very challenging things about our wealth and our possessions. Hear this, this is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, do not, store up, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul, St. Paul also says very uh, strong things to the Christian communities that he is uh, growing as the apostle. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. That's in Romans chapter 12. So that's something to think about, isn't it? The next time you go and buy something, it's a, it might be a TV, it might be an, an iPod, or it might be a car, or it might even be a house. It belongs to you, of course it does, but it's been given to you because God wants you to bless others with the benefits of those things. That's a sobering thing to think about. That's a challenge to our mindset. So they had things in common. They shared things in common. Thirdly, the effect of their community and the fact they shared their belongings is that God moved powerfully amongst them and through them. God was at work through them. Look at the verse just before our passage, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe of the many miracles and wonders being performed by the apostles. And verse 47. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the, the way they are living allows and enables the Spirit of God to work amongst them. And it's as if, it's as if the, the people around in, in Jerusalem could see, wow, this is how a Christian community can be. This is authentic. This is real. This is how these people are behaving. And, and it's, you know, the people around watch this and, and witness this, and they said, I want to be part of it. I want to join you. I want to be part of this community. And it says 3,000 are added to their number that day. Amazing. They wanted to be part of it. Because they were living out what their master Jesus had said to them to do. Jesus has said to them, uh, in, well, John records it in John chapter 13. Jesus says, If you have love for one another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. So they're living it out, this, this command of loving one another, and so that everyone will know that you are my disciples. And so they've shown that by, doing, uh, by having close fellowship, by reaching out, by uh, sharing meals, by praying together. And so the Spirit is working in, in and through them. And fourthly, uh, uh, the last notable feature I just want to point out is that there's a balance of a lifestyle. There's a balance in their lifestyle of these believers. So do you notice the way they gather together for fellowship and teaching and, the prayer, and prayers and breaking of bread? And then they go out to proclaim it, to proclaim Jesus, to praise Jesus in the temple and in the open spaces. 
And they've learned that by watching Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He had fellowship with his father. He went on the mountainside to pray. He had time alone with his father. And then he would go and minister to people. He would go out and perform miracles. And Jesus had that rhythm uh, of going and being on his own with his father and then going out to minister, to heal, to teach, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so these disciples have got the balance right again of being together being nurtured by the word, by praying, breaking your bread, and then going out into the world, into the temple courts uh, as it was then. So what does this mean for us at Christ Church? How are we going to put this into practice? Well, this is what the whole series is about, really. The whole series is about how do we put into practice our lives as discipleship? How can we be authentic Christian community in a society that is, is increasingly fragmented, increasingly Uh, at odds with each other how can we be authentic uh, as a christian community in the world well as we go through this series there are going to be lots and lots of ways to apply the teaching Uh, but just a few starters some suggestions for us at this point make every effort to share fellowship with each other so that might mean being part of a home group Uh, i know many many of you are many of Many uh, people in the church are here, which is great. And, and that is a place where you can encounter deep and true fellowship. That's that place where you can do that. It's possible to have uh, a really authentic Christian fellowship. That's a place where you can be. Hopefully you are being uh, challenged by fellow Christians in your discipleship, in prayer, and in witness to the world. If you can't get to a home group or it's just not your thing, um, Please be accountable to somebody else. Get together with somebody else. Don't be a lone disciple. Be with others in some way. Uh, the, the, the Bible says to us, we mustn't do this on our own. Get together with somebody else to pray. Share your life with them. Say, you know, this is, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? It's really, really important. Whatever it is, get support. Get fellowship. Be in fellowship with other Christians. That's the first thing. Secondly, look out for the stranger. The odd one out. I think we're a welcoming church, but we mustn't be apathetic. Look out for for someone you don't know. Uh, It was great at the Cayley last night, just sort of noticing people that, you know, I I didn't know, and just going up to them and saying, hello, I'm not sure who you are, it's great to see you. But, you know, you can do that at church, you can do that at other places as well, but be welcoming. Look out for the stranger. Uh, practice hospitality. The Bible, again, uh, says to, to be hospitable. Uh, some people are, are, are great at that. Some people are very comfortable with that. Some people just do it naturally. Uh, it may not be your thing, but the Bible says try and do that. The next level up from that is to invite somebody around that you don't really like that much. That's the next thing. Some would rather not have a meal with. That's, that's what... Uh, the, the challenge is. But Jesus says, doesn't he, love one another as I have loved you. Thirdly, when we do that, we are modeling community for society around us. We'll be caring for each other, helping each other, not speaking badly of each other. And we'll be a community that desires to experience God working and moving amongst us and reaching out to the village of Basin Hill or wherever you happen to be where you live. And so that's about getting to know the needs of your community. What does your community need? Do you know 
what your community needs? How can you help your community in all sorts of ways? May as well do my little notice now about Christian Aid because it fits into this. Christian Aid is a, a week that's coming up very soon. I need people from Christchurch to deliver Christian Aid envelopes. And that's a way of getting to know the community around us. You just you know, put the envelope through the door, give it a few days, go back a few days later, I'm collecting for Christian Aid. Would you like to give Christian Aid? Talk to the person at the door. Have a conversation with them about it. Do you know what Christian Aid is? You can get to know your community a little bit like that. Lots and lots of other ways you can do it. So we're going to leave it there for now. And, uh, but I want to finish with a poem. But it's also a prayer. And it's a poem written by a man called Sir, F- Sir Francis Drake, who was an El- Elizabethan sailor. And he wrote this prayer and poem. Uh, and it's a, pr- a prayer stroke poem to shake us out of apathy, out of complacency, perhaps, in our discipleship. So I'm going to read it but I'd also like us to pray at the same time. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true, because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely, because we sail too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, We have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision, (coughs) excuse me, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your mastery. Where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. In the name of Christ our Master. Amen.